With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The recognized symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. Hello and welcome to Arn. This is Paul Bromwell, and as always, I'm joined by the Hall of Famer, the founder of the Four Horsemen, the creator of the Spine Buster, the 1A tag team wrestlers. He's my buddy. He's our television champion. He's Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you this week, my friend? Doing good. Doing good. We're closing in on Super Bowl, right? Oh man. So well, as this drops, the Super Bowl winner will have already happened. This is going to drop on the 10th. So what? No, Super Bowl's the next day. So we will, as this drops on Saturday, we'll find out who wins on the 11th. So who you got, Arn? Kansas City or San Francisco? Kansas City. I was oh, really, I was really pulling for Detroit. Yeah, I like them too. Uh, we all like the coach and we like the team. Um, we're hoping they would make it all the way, and I was going to fair weather it and pull for Detroit, but they didn't make it one short. So now you're thinking Kansas City's going to get it done. Patrick Mahomes wins another Super Bowl, and and that young man continues to just have a phenomenal career. If that if that's what happens, but uh, I tell you what, I sometimes feel like this is the Super Bowl that Roger Goodell wants between the uh, you know tradition of the San Francisco 49ers and and everything they bring to the table, and then you got. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City, Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift, and everything that goes along with that entire total package. It's a rage uh, ratings bonanza. I'm sure it'll be one of the higher-rated Super Bowls of all time, man. The NFL's a juggernaut. Well, make no mistake, San Francisco's got a lot of weapons. People are kind of looking, as crazy as it may sound, I, I feel like some people are looking past them. They got Christian McCaffrey, buddy, your running back that started in Carolina. You know all about him. We hate losing him, man. It was one of the saddest days ever. Mm, Jesus. Uh, but their quarterback, who's named Brock, imagine that. That's a decent deal. And you know, their receiving core. Yeah. You know, they got a lot of a lot of weapons. A lot Kittle at tight end, Ayuk and uh, Debo Samuel receiver. They they do, man. They and their defense is is just flat solid. out solid. Solid. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and they're a marquee, you know, it's a marquee franchise. So marquee franchise. That's what I'm saying. They're gonna love, they're licking their chops about how that's gonna do. So it's all red everything, both teams. So we'll see how it all shakes out. But uh man, let's talk about you a little bit here because you got a couple big things going on coming up soon. We talked touched on it last week when we started the show. But first, Monster Party Comic Con, Concord, North Carolina. That's coming up here on February the 16th, 17th, and 18th. That's Brock and Arn Anderson. And Arn, you're going to have those comic books to sign and autograph as well as some uh, merch and photos. I know you're looking forward to being there. One of the, it'll only be the second show that I've been to that they were available. And I have ordered like four boxes so that nobody is going to go, uh, God, I've been wanting to see one of those comic books. They won't hear the words, well, they're not here yet. I will have enough, trust me. But thank you for all your patience for everybody. The shipping was absolutely brutal to get them to the States. It just really was. So thanks for your patience. I appreciate it. I hope everybody enjoys the read and uh, look forward to it myself. Yep. Listen, that's all in the past. It's here and it's live and people can get him autographed now. And if you don't have a copy and you planning to go see Arn, he's going to have a copy for you and he can autograph it. And then not only that, you're going to be in Richmond, Virginia, Galaxy Con. We mentioned that as well last week, March 15th, 16th and 17th at the Galaxy Con. Um, again, another appearance for you and Brock as well, Arn. Absolutely. Yep. Good, good, good. So make your, uh, make your plans, your travel plans, uh, now, because, uh, listen, they're on tour. This is like when the rock and roll express had that super summer sizzler tour. This is, this is Brock and on on tour in 2024. And, uh, he's got comic books under one arm horseman hats under the other buddy. You're the table that everybody needs to be stopping by and saying hi to and thanking you not only for what you did for this business, but what you continue to do in podcast form, sharing some great stories of your career. And Richmond's a great wrestling town. You know, I haven't been back there in this capacity. So really look forward to that as well. One other show I would like to plug because they've been really good to us on the 23rd AML wrestling continues. And that's in in, uh, March. Yep. That's March 23rd. And that's West. Davidson High School in Lexington, North Carolina. Brock will be teaming with our other answer, Anderson, excuse me, C.W. Anderson. C.W., there you go. So the Andersons are circling the wagons. He's having a good time uh, teaming with C.W., the Andersons. He's a veteran. He's he's a smart guy, and he's a a quality human being, and – you know, we're really enjoying this. Brock will learn a lot from him and we'll uh, have a lot to gain by teaming with him for sure. He, he's in great shape of, like you said, ring veteran. I've seen him many times. Russell Cade and other shows started obviously familiar with him from ECW days. But uh, I think it's cool, man, to see him and Brock and then you at ringside there, the, the Anderson clan getting it done in the ring. Well, we're honored and we're, it's our pleasure to be his partner. We, uh, very grateful. Well, there you go, Arn. And uh, so make sure you make every uh, 
chance and take every opportunity to see Arn and Brock uh, at these different shows and and take advantage of these special opportunities. Arn, we're going to jump into it this week uh, because uh, I want to get started. Last week we discussed May 1994, all the happenings surrounding the final pay-per-view before Hulk entered WCW, including the career-ending injury of Rick Rude. We got into detail on some of that. We talked about the signing of Hulk to a contract, the arrival of your old pal, Ming. Ming's there, the human Vegematic. And then your interaction with the leader of the stud stable, good old Colonel Robert Parker. This week, we're going to pick up the story on our way to the Clash of the Champions. And as we have the past few weeks, we're going to open the discussion with you guessed it, Hulk Hogan, because Hulk made his debut on WCW television on June 11th, 1994. And we're here to talk all things June. And it's their flagship show, WCW Saturday night. And during the program, uh, pre-recorded wrestling matches were inserted around teases the entire time, as you can imagine, Arn, hyping Hogan's arrival to the company and the contract signing where he would officially join WCW. And normally we would just show how WCW welcomed to the company, but instead, uh, you know, we don't do clips anymore. We're going to lean on Dave Meltzer and his reporting. And this is what Dave had to say about the event. Hogan's debut on a live cut in from Orlando, Florida's Disney world came, uh, hit us on June 11th, WCW Saturday night show for the entire show. The announcers with pre-tape matches from Atlanta going on emphasize nothing but Hogan's arrival, several times calling it the biggest signing in sports history and biggest day in the history of wrestling. If anything, they went overboard in the other direction this time. Toward the end of the show, Hogan came out to a ticker tape parade in a car with Jimmy Hart. You remember this? Oh, yeah. Running around in front of him like a maniac with about 200 fans dressed up in Hogan merch passed out by the WCW staff. Total manipulation, but that's what this business is all about. That's right. It's wrestling. Afterwards, Hogan gave a speech talking about coming to WCW, basically talking about the unification of the WCW world and international titles at the June 23rd Clash of the Champions and trying to use wrestling history that really didn't apply, in Dave Meltzer's opinion. He talked mainly about wrestling Ric Flair, which some in WCW were hyping as the first time the two have met despite the fact that they had a 1991-92 feud in the WWF, although never had a clean finish in a singles match or wrestled on a pay-per-view show. We get it, Dave. But because of this, WCW officials are expecting at least a 1.0 buy rate for the show, about double what they've been averaging of late, which would at least for that show more than pay for Hogan's share and exceed any pay-per-view over the past year except for WrestleMania and SummerSlam. Others think that 1.0 figure is way out of the realm of possibility. Arn, we're going to discuss the pay-per-view buys next week, but make no mistake about it, WCW has put all those eggs in the Hulk Hogan basket. They've gone all in, all cards in on the table here. They got ticker tape parades. Uh, man, you've been in Jim Crock promotions, WCW, for about eight years up to this point. Did you ever in your wildest dreams imagine a, a, a scene like this for WCW with a ticker tape parade for incoming talent? Well, that's that's where he came from. Showbiz. That's yeah. what that's what the WWF at the time was. And that's you know, it was it wasn't just two guys that have a beef in there fighting. It was showbiz. And uh 
My question would be, do you have any numbers on what that show did that Saturday? Uh, not that Saturday night show? No, I don't. No. Because that just, you know, again, just listening to it, the cut-ins and all that, and building a whole two-hour show around Hogan, making it, that should have jumped a bunch. I can't tell you how many times we've seen that replay, though, of that thicker tape parade. As soon as I started talking about it, oh, yeah. And everybody listening to my voice right now is picturing the whole scene in their mind. It was one of the most memorable scenes when you think about uh, Hulk Hogan and wrestling in that, in that time period that we, we, we can all picture that scene with Eric Bischoff and, and the ticker tape deal. Uh, but here's the other thing that I wanted to bring up around this too. You got to recognize that man, WCW, it's presentation, everything about it has just changed and there's no turning back. Right. There, I mean, it's totally different. Yeah. It needs to morph into something different or else. Why did you go out on a limb and get Hogan? I mean, it's, you have to cater to some of the new way of doing business, I guess. You have to. It, it's a change from that wrestling-centric approach that we saw with G JCP and early WCW. And now it's almost here comes the E, the entertainment side of the business, for sure. Yeah. 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 So there you go. I mean, her tried, right? He had his RoboCop. You had, you know, he saved Sting from the horseman. He had the black scorpion make people disappear uh, and go poof. We tried to see some of those Russell crap movies of Vader and sit on the beach. They tried their hand at entertainment. You're shaking your head right now. But I mean, for the most part, this was a Southern wrestling territory uh, for the most part. So it's an interesting time, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. And Jimmy Hart running around. I can see him. <laughs> Full of energy. That's what he does. And to this day, he still does his business the same way. That guy has just got unbelievable energy level. Wish you could bottle it and sell it. I'd buy a case. Oh, I know. I, I don't think that they've discovered an energy drink uh, that could that could match what the, the energy that guy has. Uh, and if they do, please tell me what it is. Uh, Meltzer goes on and he says, uh, listen. Obviously, lacking the size that made Hulk Hogan famous, he looked down 60 to 70 pounds from his peak WWF years. He looks in great shape for a man who's almost assuredly not on steroids any longer, but he's been on them for more than a decade. I mean, he's nearly 41 years old. And then in the interview in front of the fans, plants, and extras, he still projected that charisma that made him one of the great Brock box office draws in history. The entire spectacular production was nearly ruined by the quote-unquote reporters. Those asking questions were actually actors hired through MGM as the few reporters who were there were asked to keep their mouth shut. They were told to keep quiet. But uh, Arn, the only reason I mentioned Hogan's look here is it was part of his presentation for so long that was Hulk Hogan, the 330-pound, six-foot-seven baby face, well-oiled, tanned, whole nine yards. He's still tanned here. But, man, it's clearly uh, no more juice for this guy. Uh, what do you remember about WCW's stance on steroids, testing, et cetera, back in 94? Have you, did you hear much about that? Uh, I really didn't hear a lot of conversation about that, to be honest with you. Uh, I know that the no bleeding policy was kind of was the head topic because that was back in the days of the virus, right? Yeah, yeah. They were more concerned with with HIV and the AIDS. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. 
Uh, I don't think, you know, I don't think it was a big deal about the, about the steroids. You, you wanted your athletes looking good, and the reality is it's a different look with steroids and different look without them. Did you uh, remember hearing much talk or chatter backstage or behind the scenes, wrestlers, et cetera, during the steroid trial deal that's going on here with the McMahon and Titan? Uh, I think probably the consensus was they just had too much evidence. Yeah. His goose was cooked, I think. Yeah, I just didn't know if it was a hot topic with, with you guys on the WCW side paying attention to it well i mean it, obviously obviously you um you know the guys when you when you send guys out on the road you know as many days as as was on your schedule if you work for wwe and you were expected to look a certain way and perform a certain way and you know all the things that you're going to be a, a a character and a cartoon character, but you're going to be bigger than life and you're going to have bigger muscles than everybody else. And you name it, you're going to have a tan and all those things that go that way. You're going to, some guys choose to, whether it's alcohol or smoke a little pot or take some steroids or whatever it is that gives you an edge that helps you, travel like that that's what you do that's, that's what, what you, you do that's what yeah. you did and as long as it didn't involve the you know the cops or anything of that nature breaking the law you know it was just one of those private deals that guys did what they had to to be superheroes mm. no doubt about it Meltzer says because of the amount of money it took to bring Hogan in. And and by the way, here we go. Figures reported in the observer coming from the Titan camp, $300,000 per match for three pay-per-view shows and three clashes. So do the math there. 300,000 per match for three pay-per-view shows and three clashes. <laughs> Plus 25% of any increase in pay-per-view revenue above the recent WCW average, 25% of the house for a handful of house show dates in Europe and the U.S., and 65% of all merchandising revenue for a period ending December 31st, 1994, are said to be by company and independent sources as close to it right now on the money. This is the biggest promotional risk taken in the United States since the WWF decided to go national more than 10 years ago. That's all from, from Meltzer. That's a lot of money, buddy. A lot of dough. Yes, it is. I mean, just pull out your calculators, ladies and gentlemen, and try to figure that out. Uh, Hogan's contracts, huge money, creative control, uh, and atomic guaranteed contracts. The days of incentivizing wrestlers with big houses were over, but WCW executives thought they could expand their reach and enjoy success in that whole merchandising and marketing they'd never pre previously done before. Hogan would be their flag flagship because, listen, he's synonymous with pro wrestling, Arn, and uh, he's a proven con commodity. Uh, with the WWF, not necessarily with the WCW, even during their heyday when he was working with Andre, WWF never really drew huge numbers in the Carolinas. And I got to say, it's probably because of the stronghold the Crockett's had in the Carolinas. 
this was a time where wrestling fans are very loyal. They had their company and their wrestlers that they pulled for. And they were WWF fans or they were uh, Jim Crockett fans or WCW fans, whatever the case may be. But they were very very loyal. ECW had its own fan base. Philadelphia, yeah. New York, Philadelphia, the whole North. Um, Yeah. Tennessee, I'm sure. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it was where you live. That was like your home team. Looking back again, armchair quarterback, that's what we do on the show. See, hearing and seeing that money, though, Ar- Arn looks like a smart business decision when you think about what happened then with Nitro and NWO and everything that came after, right? Uh, you got to think back and say, hey, sounds like a lot of money. And they gave him creative control. But at the end of the day, looks like Eric uh, made, made a wise choice here. Well, nobody saw the NWO thing coming. Right. It wasn't in the works when they negotiated Hogan to come to work there. That probably saved the entire signing, though, eventually, as far as when you look at the investment. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, what they, it was like God looked down at us and said, you guys need a break. We need, we need, we'll give you some help here. Yeah. And, and the thing was just. It was what it was. It was unique. It was something that had not been done. It was involving characters that, you know, weren't together prior to that. So it was uh, it was one of those rare things that was just so far out there. It, it worked. Arn, we want to pause this episode of the show to talk about Green Chef. They're making eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, or just looking to eat more balanced meals, Green Chef offers a range of recipes to suit your preference. Arn, you and I received some Green Chef meals not too long ago, and we are in. I know they were fantastic. I watched the video of you unwrapping your Green Chef meal, and you and Aaron Brock really enjoyed what you got from Green Chef, didn't you? You know, irregardless of public opinion, I'm not just a Hershey bar eating guy. (laughs) I like to eat good quality, healthy food. And uh, that's exactly what we got, man. We opened those boxes. Everything that you could put in there as far as condiments, it's all inclusive. So if you want to have some high quality meals and they take all the work out of it, buddy, that's your brand. And you and I both, we talked about it the next day. When we got open that chicken Alfredo dish and mm. had that, buddy, that was a home run, wasn't it? Grand slam, my man. Who wouldn't like that? Uh, so good. I'm talking about elevating your everyday wellness with a number one meal kit for clean eating and discover new gut-friendly recipes every week. Each week, listen, choose from 80-plus flavor-packed options, including new calorie-smart recipes and wellness bundles, Every Green Chef customer gets a free session with a registered dietitian. So sign up and start your journey towards better health today. And you can take that time back in the kitchen with dinner in 30 minutes and lunch in 10 minutes. And I'm telling you, you're not going to find any of that artificial colors or high fructose corn syrup. Nope, not with Green Chef. So check it out. Visit greenchef.com forward slash 60 Anderson. And use code 60ANDERSON, that's right, 60ANDERSON, to get 60% off 
plus 20% off your next two months. That starts February 1st of this year. So think about it. February, all of February, all of March, you get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. So that first purchase will get you that 60% off. Man, I'm telling you what, this is an offer we can't refuse. Arn and I definitely are advocates for Green Chef and uh, we appreciate your support. So check them out, greenchef.com forward slash 60 Anderson. Arn, they're not going to have a better meal than what they do with Green Chef. And at a fraction of the price over the next couple months, you'll be hooked when it's over. Trust me. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I want your opinion on one last thing that Meltzer wrote here, and we'll move on from the Hulk coverage this week. He's going to be a common theme here. The problem since Ted Turner purchased WCW from Jim Crockett in 1988 is that nobody seems to know which direction is the primary one for this company. Jim Hurd ran the company for three years and it was never clear if the goal was to become the top organization or to be profitable. And as a result, it never came close to being either. Kip Fry replaced him with the clear goal of becoming number one, but he was dumped in a matter of months because the higher ups felt he was spending too much money. Here comes Bill Watts. He comes in with the directive of running the show as a business to get the losses down as much as possible, which he attempted to do, but his problems were legendary and he didn't last very long. The latest architect, here we go, Eric Bischoff, seems to be proclaiming the goal to be number one, although behind the scenes, his actions seem to be taking both roads. Taking both roads isn't necessarily mutually exclusive, but without a clear priority on which one is the major goal, the odds are that neither goal will be achieved. Arn, it seems to me that Meltzer's criticism comes from the fact that WCW for the last several years never had a clear vision for the company and the products. What, what say you to that assessment of what Mel's, I mean, he, he laid it out pretty nicely as far as the direction. It seems like they couldn't figure their way out here one way or another. Uh, well, everybody that came in that was a boss was either not qualified or was trying to do something that was not plausible. Um, I mean, Watts wanted to go all the way back to, Throwing a guy over the top rope was disqualification. Right. Taking it back. I mean, that's backtracking. Yeah. You know, um, when you come in and you, your edict to the WCW higher ups is, hey, don't pay me a salary. Just pay me what I saved the company. Well, that's great if you're going to do some cost cutting measures that are things that were done improperly before, but when you're going to go right and take it away from the talent, what do you think that did to the attitude mm, not good. of guys? Yeah. The one thing you could count on and the one thing you could be sure of in which kept you going to work and working as hard as possible was no matter what, every two weeks. That's right. Getting paid. The now, one thing I got to say, go ahead. To, now, well, just now he wants to cut guys' money. Take and it was take it or leave it. 
was the attitude. Talent is the product. That's what you're selling. That's what we all live off of is the talent. It's not the production people, even though they have a part of it. It's not the front office. They pay a big part of it. But the product are the wrestlers. And when you tell a guy you're going to cut his money just because that's how I'm going to get paid, when that got out there, that was really bad. Cut out catering. You guys be here from 2 to 11, but we're going to cut out catering. We're going to give you a box lunch, ham sandwiches, <laughs> and a little bag of chips. Right, little Debbie. Yeah. If, you know, if you knew, if you weren't there and saw it, you wouldn't believe it. Right. Oh, that's true, man. Well, Bischoff, at least I got to say this on his behalf, He his goal was, listen, let's get Hulk. Let's prioritize him. We can figure out the rest later. You know, we're gonna we're gonna put all of our chips to the middle of the table. He's got star power, and we're gonna build around him. And I mean, I know Meltzer says no direction, no vision. Eventually, Bischoff does come up with that vision, whether you think it was his idea or not his idea. But he got WCW there in the long run. Yeah, and everybody chipped in. You know, one thing that needs to be said, and it's just because it's the truth, you had three guys, Nash, Hall, and who had established themselves up north, and they came down and brought the star power. Hogan Hell was here. He had the star power, and the fact that he had never been a heel was a big selling point. And here's, here's the part that people forget, but you need to make mention of. Three guys took over the company and laid waste to the everybody else that was on the company. Now, that's picking your spots, and you got to be selective on how you do that so it's plausible, but that means that every other talent sacrificed himself Sure. To get to get those guys hot and get them over, because if you really think about it, why didn't they just somebody call a big meeting and go, "Listen, there's just three of these guys. They're trying to take over our company for one night and one night only. If we have to, let's kill these guys." You know, that would sure. have made sense. But for everybody chipping in and everybody selling and getting caught great, backstage. Great the entire company got on board and that's why they got over like they did. Now they carried their end of it. You know, they held their end of it. It will go down as one of the greatest angles in wrestling history, but still if you got to have a lot of guys sacrificing. For that you got to have a lot of guys that are willing to give and you Absolutely. guys, a lot of guys willing to give. And that's why it burns my butt when you see guys now at certain companies in wrestling say, well, they don't want to take a pin. They refuse to take pins. What, 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 what do you mean they're refusing to take pins? That's not the business that we're in, right, Orn? It's a give and take business. It's not a take and take. It's a give and take. You know, you can't get over without opponents in this business. You're going to go wrestle yourself. You know, it's like you have to chip in and you work number one for the good of the company because if the company doesn't exist, that's all right. We're all screwed, you know. And 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 it, it got red hot, and it was at a moment in time. And you know, 
all that. I didn't worry about it that much, you know, because I'd done nothing but sell and get beat my whole career. Sure. So it was no big deal to me. But when I saw it catching flame, flaming up, you know, and catching on like it did and as hot as it got and the houses getting full and, and those guys became pseudo heroes themselves, even though they had, you know, they had their own fans. They sold a ton of merch. You still see NWO shirts out there. It's like they got over. And when they got over the company, you know, jumped on board and everybody did the right thing. And business was red hot there for a long time. No doubt about it. And, and I know as we continue on through the years, 95, 96, 97, we're going to do a lot of talking about, about that, but let's uh, move on from Hogan and talk about a person that I know you're looking forward to talking a little bit more about. I saw you smirk when I, uh, and, and, and smile when I mentioned it last week, Arn coming into WCW, none other than sensational Sherry. She was uh, known in WCW as sensuous Sherry, Sherry Martell had worked in the AWA for Vern Gagne and the WWF for Vince McMahon. Not only was she a successful women's wrestler and champion, but listen, Sherry managed the likes of Buddy Rose and Doug Summers during their feud with the Midnight Rockers and AWA. Uh, she was also linked to Hall of Famers like Macho Man Randy Savage, the Macho King, Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase, and then, of course, the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels, I mean, singing his song for Pete's sake. WCW didn't have a woman's division, but instead they bring her in as a manager. And in her first notable appearance in WCW, it's April 23rd episode of Saturday night, where she told mean Jean that she came to WCW to find a man who could bring her the WCW world title. And then during the slamboree pay-per-view, she was there taking notes on the matches and on the wrestlers. And on the May 28th episode of Saturday night, she told mean Jean she had found her man. And she would reveal who that who it was at the upcoming clash of the champions. But double A Sherry, uh, she's got a ton of experience, knowledge. She's considered one of the toughest women to ever enter a wrestling ring. In your opinion, what allowed Sherry to be just so successful in such a male dominated business? Well, number one, she was a sweetheart. What a really sweet, nice person she was behind, you know, the real Sherry. But boy, what a tough competitor. She was one tough chick and she took bumps before women took bumps like that. You know, yeah. before that, before Sherry and Medusa, it was like every the other ladies were eye candy by and large. Sure. Hope I'm not missing anybody. No, Those, but the valet were more valets. Yeah, and they kick your ass. Yeah, those two would definitely kick your ass. They were like the, the they would b beat the shit out of you as uh, even in a valet style role. Oh God, I couldn't beat either one of them for sure. <laughs> That's for damn sure. But you know, and they they got the guys respect because they would when it was time to get knocked off the apron out to the floor and stuff like that. No hesitation whatsoever, and they could go in and, and put a match together. There would rival anything else on the card if they wrestled each other i would imagine no doubt about it i mean i would say it goes far as to say she's largely underrated when it comes to managing i mean she managed savage oh, yeah. dibiosity michaels um and as you might expect she's a favorite uh, of some of your fans as well so we do have a few questions of the listeners of the show drew landry the professor did you have any conversations about sherry managing you arn i think that would have been a fun experience 
Oh, it'd been great, but no, I, I didn't. Um, that conversation never came up. I, I actually thought she was at her best when she was with the Harlem Heat. Oh, so good. Yeah, you know, perfect just, presentation. I mean, because she just added to that. They had the greatest music in the history of the business, you know, ring music. And uh, and plus, they were jacked and looked good, looked apart. And she just added to all that. She had the mouth, the charisma, the look, everything. Well, yeah. she could bark. She had her. She yeah. had her. She had her back covered, and she could bark all she wanted. Pastor Tim has a question about the sensuous one. Sherry Martell is one of my favorite female talents ever. Uh, by the way, Pastor Tim, great seeing you in Tampa. She was the ultimate counterpart to Miss Elizabeth in the WWF. When Sherry came to WCW, what did you think the expectations were for her and how was she received by the roster? And then, uh, and then finally, do you have a favorite Sherry memory that you can share? So let's start with the roster. What was it like uh, when all of you guys saw Sherry join, join the, the crew? Well, the, the young guys, I don't know if they they understood how important she would be, but the veterans knew, you know, they respected Sherry. They were, it was just another veteran in the locker room that was going to add to the quality of work in whatever capacity they used her in. He uh, wants to know, do you have a favorite uh, Sherry memory that you can share? Yeah, every time I saw her. Oh, that's great. That's great. Uh, she, uh, seems like she made a big impact on you, Arn. Brad Stan with the hypothetical for you, double a, if Sherry Martell was in her prime today, who would you want her to work with first? Hmm. Hmm. A healthy Charlotte flair wouldn't bother me. Oh, there you go. I like it right now. She's nursing an injury. She'll be back. Working her ass off. She's all over social showing videos of her rehab and, and you know, she's going to be ahead of schedule. Oh, way ahead. And she's, you know, she loves the business. She's respectful of the business and, you know, enter her prime Sherry Martell and Charlotte, you know, wish list. I'd love to see that because they're both quality performers. Hmm. Good stuff. Up next, Arn, let's talk about the Clash of the Champions where so many things took place. That's going to set up this uh, Bash at the Beach pay-per-view in July. Clash takes place North Charleston Coliseum in Charleston, South Carolina. By the way, Charleston, do you have any memories of Charleston, South Carolina? It's a beautiful area down there, isn't it? A lot of great seafood. I mean, a lot of great seafood. They had a short drive from Charlotte, 200 miles, three That's hours. Yeah. You know, I know we measure stuff and how far is it from where you live and how many nights can you get home from there? And that was definitely a drive. There were uh, 6,700 fans attended the event. Uh, 4,000 of those were paid tickets, a total gate of 42,000. The building has a capacity of 11,000. According to Meltzer, this installment of the Clash of Champions drew a 3.0 rating, the company's fourth lowest rated Clash ever. Uh, but concerning the actual range of the show, Meltzer wrote that this is in the July 4th, 1994 edition. Since the show was headlined by a unification match with Flair versus Sting, who even last summer on a regular Saturday show did a 3.4 rating for a title match, plus the live debut of Hulk Hogan, and was the product of more hype both in the media and commercial time for TBS than any clash in history, that figure 
has to be a huge disappointment. The one legitimately bright side of the ratings is that the audience grew greatly throughout the show, which indicates that very few people tuned out once they started watching, and many picked up viewership along the way with the Flare Sting match, which peaked at 4.2, or about two and a half times as many viewers that saw the opening uh, tag match. Arn, for the past 30 years and even to this day, ratings seem to be focal point constantly for wrestling even though i know the business model's changing with streaming and all this and that but during your time as a performer was this something that you even thought about as a wrestler ratings i mean i'm sure you heard guys uh, in the back talking about as far as leadership and bookers and things like that but did you concern yourself with ratings uh well yeah because i started to figure out how important they were you know because we weren't setting the world on fire with live event revenue. So those ratings were, that was one of our selling points. I would imagine we had to get sure. those ratings up. Well, especially too knowing that Turner's, uh, you know, he's, he's connected he's, to the TV. He owns a TV company. That's right. It's a TV company that owns WCW. You know, and just, you know, the reality is when he bought the company, the, you know, and he, he signed everybody to contracts and all that stuff. The, the reality is he was paying himself because he owned yeah, the company. That's exactly right. And he owned the television station and the, he would sell himself the programming, which was the wrestling show. So that's how he's able to pull all that off. I would imagine. Have you guys heard the news since last November interest rates have fallen an entire point. So if you're looking to get rid of that credit card debt and lower your monthly payments, this is the second chance you've been looking for at SaveWithConrad.com. Now could be the perfect time to save yourself five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. And you don't need perfect credit or money out of pocket to do this at SaveWithConrad.com. Hey, also, you can skip your next two house payments. That's right. Skip your next two house payments at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 32416, equal housing lender. Again, guys, it's SaveWithConrad.com. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Arn, uh, because this is your show, uh, let's talk about what you're doing at the Clash of the Champions. How's that sound? That's different. Yeah, he sounds good. In an interview segment conducted by Gene Ogerlin, you agreed to team with Dustin Rhodes against Terry Funk and Bunkhouse Buck. How's that sound for a match? You and Dustin versus Bunkhouse Buck and Terry Funk. Uh, Dustin had asked you to team with him the previous week, laying out your resume and even the way that you two feuded with, I mean, you, you got dusty and his war with the horseman. He mentions all that. You told Dustin that if you were going to team with him, you had a couple of conditions first, it wasn't going to be the Arn Anderson of today, but rather the Arn Anderson, these people had demanded for the old Arn Anderson, the one that's not politically correct. The one that will smack his granny in the mouth for 50 cents the one that will start a fight in the parking lot and bring it into the building. You go on to tell Dustin that if you take this match under these conditions, we may get hurt real bad, but I expect that. We may get fined a lot of money. We may get hurt permanent, 
But if it takes this match, Dustin Rhodes, under these conditions, we're turning the hurting around and we're putting it on them. My answer is yes. I'll be glad to be your partner, as always, Arn. This promo is delivered with your trademark intensity and believability. This story, though, is something that we have seen in wrestling over and over again, and that's because it's basic and it's easy to follow. Someone should have warned Dustin about what he was getting himself into, but we'll save that part of the story for next week. But for now, what did you think about the prospects of working with Dustin again at this time in his career? I always knew Dustin had it. He, he had it from day one. He was a natural, you know, and, and just a great solid worker. And he came from, he was on the tail end of an era where work rate mattered. You know, everybody wasn't a gimmick. Everybody wasn't six, seven, 300 pounds. You know, when he first started, it was more about learning to work, learning how to tell stories, learning how to sell all the basics that had made the previous uh, you know, era of wrestling, that's what sold tickets and that's what drove sales and, and the business itself was learning to work. And, you know, it would be probably easy for a guy, he's a tall guy to get on the steroids and get all gassed up and, and come up with some gimmick, but he chose to do it the right way and learn how to work. Yeah, and then learn how to make it work for him. Brian Haremza wrote, at the end of the month, you're going to start teaming with Dustin Rhodes. Having worked with Dustin, did you feel you had chemistry with him as a team? Also, did you enjoy working in a babyface tag team? Oh, I hated it. I hated being a babyface. You know that. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just felt that a rougher style fit me better. But you had to enjoy at least getting to work with Dustin a little bit on that side of the ring with him. I, well, again. I knew I knew the what the end game was. That's what mm -hmm. I enjoyed about it. And I just did my stuff, and he did his stuff, and we just happened to be in the same team. It wasn't like we did spots together, you know, sure. like teamwork spots. We didn't, and that was on purpose. You weren't doing drop toe holds and then you know combination maneuvers with each other. It wasn't that style of tag team wrestling. No. No, because the end game, we knew what it was. Janara Gonzalez asks, what did you think about uh, being in the stud stable? Was it your least favorite faction to be in? No, no. Uh, I, I Colonel Parker's hilarious. If you've ever been around him, just sitting in the locker room. And now he, he goes back to being Robert Fuller, you know, and he's hilarious. So getting to spend time around those guys, seeing Terry Funk walk around the locker room doing his thing, it was uh, it was an honor for me because these guys were legends and uh, paved the way for me to have a job. Nick Lenz brings up a good point. He says, hey, look, you're now in another group with Stunning Steve Austin. How do you feel about being able to be a part of another team with uh, Stunning Steve here? I saw his, his star way before a lot of people did. He... Uh, He's a machine and we saw how he turned out, but you could see it from day one, you know, even when he had the long blonde hair and you just, he was just a, a machine. He could just had a big gas tank and he could just get out and work his ass off. We, uh, man, it is, it's, it's awesome just to think about how much you were able to work with stone cold. I keep calling him stone cold. That's what we end up, you know, coming to know the man as stone cold, Steve Austin, but so many cool little factions here, whether it's the dangerous Alliance, uh, what you did here, 
uh, with this group, the stud stable. Um, Arn, sometimes that gets lost in the shuffle when people think about you and the four horsemen or you and, and Tully as the brain busters. But you got to work with some pretty cool guys. You mentioned Colonel Robert Parker and how he cracked you up. Just being able to travel with some of these guys, legends in the business, uh, what a fun time that must have been for you. Really was. It really was. I mean, I just love the business and, you know, those guys, you know, especially the ones that were like a generation ahead of me. I mean, Dusty Rhodes, first time I saw him, I was shell-shocked. You know, these guys that were all like a half a generation ahead of me, Bunkhouse Buck and all those guys, Bob Armstrong, you know, they were all a little bit ahead of me, but they were my heroes when I was coming up. Well, Arn, we move on to the main event of the Clash of the Champions. And uh, as we've talked about it, that unification match, that world heavyweight title and international world title, it comes together here. You have that one WCW champion for the first time in over a year and a half. And uh, there's nothing more WCW and Clash of Champions than what? Ric Flair versus Sting. So Flair pins Sting in just over 17 minutes to unify the titles. And, buddy, at the start of this match, both men are baby faces, but that's not how it ends. Sherry comes out. Before the match, she's wearing Sting's face paint. And the announcers are saying, oh, she's picked Sting, as Tony <laughs> Schiavone says, to bring her the world title. But one of the key ma- spots in the match was when Sting went for the over-the-top rope uh, plancha and Flair pulled Sherry right in the way. Sherry took an incredible bump on uh, reminding everybody why she was so good in the ring. The finish comes when Sting went for a backslide, but Sherry jumped on the apron. Sting leaves uh, the uh, hold off of Flair. Flair schoolboys him for the win using a handful of tights. Flair and Sherry hug it out in the ring. Nate wins the belt. Sting decks Flair and was punched from behind by Sherry. Sting turned his back. Flair then clips him, and Sherry and Flair double team sting and uh man that's what happens it's sherry and flair they're together flair's heel hulk runs down the ring to make the save and after a tease of interaction flair and sherry left the ring with that flair my man has officially turned back into being the dirtiest player in the game and he's full-fledged heel which by the way it's official hogan is now going to challenge flair for that wcw world title at bash at the beach so what do you think? Was it even believable at all with Sherry wearing the sting paint that she was going to choose sting to be partnered with? As an angle alert, it was going to go the other way. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, it's you know that. Oh, written all it was over. a neon sign where the screws in sting. You're going to be stupid enough to go for this. <laughs> the answer is and, no. Right. And, and by the way, it was written that this match wasn't necessarily well received by the audience. So I, I think part of the problem is, Arn, and you would you agree, going in, they're both baby faces. Mm-hmm. And Rick had, had reached that. You get to a point in the business when you've been around for a long time and you've performed at a high level that you just become iconic. You're not a heel. You're not a baby face. True. You're just an icon. And that's what Flair, it was hard for him to, I doubt he went into any match as a total heel. You know, people yeah. just, they just like his shtick and they've seen his, his routine a thousand times. They still pay to see it. 
So Meltzer, he, he chimes in with some thoughts to uh, wrap up this clash. He said the show had one purpose to get over the Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair match in Orlando and didn't confuse the issue by emphasizing anything else, Harn. In that regard, it served its purpose. The other point is that the crowd reaction live to Hulk Hogan was a disaster. While Hogan clearly had his fans, they were in the minority as he was booed four of his five appearances. He had a limo entrance, a live interview, a taped interview with Shaquille O'Neal. Man, they're not pulling out all the stops. A run-in saving Sting from Flair and Sherry Martell, where he was cheered, and then an end-of-the-show interview. Uh, my God, are knowing what it took for WCW to sign Sting, I think it they got to be a little concerned maybe about him being booed on so many segments. Uh, not sure, but uh, interesting debut here for Hogan at uh, this clash. Yeah, who knows? You know, who knows what the fans were thinking. You know, sometimes you can push a guy too hard and too long and the audience will turn on him because they don't feel like he's earning his way. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Just coming in, coming in, already jumping right in. I mean, plus two where he's getting shoved down their throats at a rapid pace here. Yeah. And we're talking Hogan, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's. You can push a guy too hard and too too quick, and you know, and ticker tape parade from then on. I mean, everything's been about his signing, which I get; it's big, but there's got to be a little bit of a balance, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, they'll you get too much of that stuff. It's like they just spit it out. They be in the audience. We are. We're going to wrap up our our episode this week with uh, from our listeners. And uh, Tom Danucci says the title unification clash of Sting versus Flair reminds me of WWE NXT and AEW Ring of Honor of today that all have way too many titles. Does aren't think promoters will ever comprehend the simple equation that if everyone is a champion, then no one is the champion. Well said. Oh, Tom, Thomas, you nailed it, buddy. Um, you nailed it. A wrestling historian wants to know if you think they could have saved Hogan versus Flair for Starcade, or was it better to book immediately? Thanks in advance. $64,000 question. I would have held him off. I know. I, I Yeah. I knew you were going to say that based on what you said last week when you were talking about why not push it to the fall bra or, you know, move it out a little bit, build it. Yeah. And in the pro on the other side, let flair do some rotten shit to where by default, if nothing else, you want to see Hogan attack him in the parking lot, attack it, do something to whatever case may be. Well, and, yeah. You know, or attack some guys that got nothing to do with it. Just take True. advantage guys that are positioned lower down the card. Just be abusive. You know, sometimes when you just attack innocent victims, whoever the guy is on the other side wearing the white hat really don't matter. You just want to see the black hat guy get his ass kicked. Mm. Well, Arn, that's going to wrap up June 1994. As always, we're going to shut down the question with a few rapid-fire questions from our ad-free show family. Matt S. wrote, over on the other side, WWF was debuting Brian Lee as the fake Undertaker. What was Arn and the WCW locker room reaction to the whole Undertaker versus Undertaker storyline? It ain't broke. Don't fix it. Yeah. 
Adam Krasnall for the following. This was the second year in a row without a great American bash. The pay-per-view would be resurrected the following June. What did you think about the great American bash being removed considering it had been the flagship event for years dating back to the Crockett era? Why was it removed? Does anybody know? It became bash at the beaches and all this. They just went away from the great American bash for a little bit. I have no idea. That, yeah, not a smart decision. No. Finally, Gavin with three quick ones to wrap us up. What was the general feeling about Jean-Paul Levesque after being repackaged around this time? Oh, he was a nice kid. I mean, he came in, he was very respectful, had a unique look. He, uh, I don't know anybody that didn't like Paul. Immediately, he, we immediately put him in the car riding with us. So, you know, it was, of course, Rick knew him through Gold's Gym and another avenue. Uh, they were in business with the same people in some okay. capacity. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, it, he just he wasn't immediately pushed to the moon, and he already had decided he wanted to be a WWF guy anyway. He told me that out of his own mouth because they offered him a contract and he just said, no, thank you. I'd, you know, rather not sign that. And he, because right. he already knew he was from that area of the country where WWF had its stronghold and that's who he wanted to play for. He goes on and asks a roster search shows Pez Watley and Pedro Morales were part of the roster in June, 1994. Do you remember that? And what were they doing? Any recollection of Pedro and Pez? Well, Pedro probably came in for a legend show and they signed him for a year, knowing the way things went back then. Cause I never saw him work a match. Did he? No, no, I don't, I don't recall that, but it, like he said, it was a roster search. They did in solemn and Pez Watley. Probably the same situation. Uh, Pez was a good worker. Yeah. You know, he really was. Uh, he was a really good worker. But, you know, like everything else, you know, he had probably come to the end of his run. Maybe more house, house show loops type. Yeah. But, yeah. But, but a good, solid performer. He said, what do you think kept the Patriot from being bigger? Great look, marketable gimmick, solid enough in the ring. Timing. They were pushing other guys. Well, Arn, before we get out of here for this week, we want to take a moment to remind everyone about the comic that you mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, we know fans waited for uh, uh, quite a few months to get it, but it's here. We want your feedback. Reach out to us on Twitter. Let us know what you think of the novel. If you have any challenges or questions, remember, I mentioned last week as well, support at whalebacker.com, W-H-A-L-E-B-A-C-K-E-R.com. Dirk Manning has mentioned that if you have a damaged package, to include photos of the packages, et cetera, but support at whalebacker.com can be that resource if you have any questions. But, man, they're flying like hotcakes. You said it. Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble. uh, They're available everywhere. More importantly, Arn, I I expect you're going to be signing more than a handful of these things during your upcoming appearances. I will not be ever caught without enough. So wherever I'm going to be, any any live event, guys, if, if you choose 
to get one, I'll have it be honored to sign it for you. So there you go. Also, just make sure you check out all the merch. We've touched on it before, but if you want to check out the merch, you can do so. Boxagimmicks.com. You're going to find the Arn store and the Four Horsemen store. Lots of great merchandise over there. As we know, it's cold weather season. Buddy, I'm sitting here right now, and as I look, 34 degrees where I sit here in Pennsylvania. Uh, that's hoodie weather. That's coat weather. I don't know what it is in Charlotte, but uh, I can only don't, assume. Don't forget the jackets. That's what I'm saying, man. Grab yourself a jacket, have them in 12 different colors, and they're made just like they were in that original era of time. And uh, Arn is super proud of the merch, so check that out as well. want to mention, if your business targets that 25 to 54-year-old, man, there's no better place than to advertise with Arn.com right now. If you have that brand or that item or that solution or product that you would just love to have in front of the Arn Show audience, this is the place to do it. Contact us at advertisewithorn.com right now, and we'd love to support you and your product or service. Arn, next week, we move on to July 1994, and I can assure you that we're going to have a lot to discuss about the Hogan-Flair dream match, the success of the pay-per-view. Cactus Jack says, hey, I'm done. He turns in his notice, and it's the beginning of the next chapter in the storied Anderson Rhodes feud. And so we're looking forward to do that. Arn, thank you so much once again for doing the show with me. It's always a pleasure, my friend. It's always nice to hear from the people that come to the live events, how much they enjoy the podcast. That's me and you, bud. I have a blast doing it with you and reliving your career. I'm honored to be able to do this. And I'm honored to be able to see you, by the way, in July when you're enshrined into the National Wrestling Hall of Fame. And it sounds like it's going to be a happening uh, there's a lot of people planning on being mm. out there to, to see you get inducted. And so uh, we'll, we'll share more there, but uh, can't wait to see all that go down a little bit later on this year. In the meantime, on behalf of the Hall of Famer, Arn Anderson, this is Paul Bromwell, and we'll see you right back here next week on another episode of Arn. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.